Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It's brought to you this week by Warby Parker and Squarespace. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason Snell. Hello, Stephen. Good to be back. Yes, I was going to wish you a happy new year, but we recorded on New Year's, or the day after, so... yeah. We did. It's uh, it's number two of 2019 for liftoff. Going to be a big year. Big year. Lots going on. Let's uh, dive into this. You want to start okay. on the far side of the moon? Yeah. Let's. That's a what better place to start than the far side of the moon? Um, our friends in the Chinese space program have released a whole bunch of additional information about their uh, Chang'e lander, uh, Chang'e four, which is, has landed on the far side of the moon uh, in von Karman crater, and um, it has deployed. Uh, U-22, the um, the Jade Rabbit 2 uh, rover that is now out on the surface. Uh, there are lots of... Uh, they released a video of the landing, which is pretty cool because you can see it like... Von Karman Crater is really large. I think it's like uh, 100 miles wide or something like that. It's a very large crater. And you can see it sort of like coming in and then it tilts down and, and you can watch it kind of go all the way down to the surface. It's pretty pretty cool. So nothing happened really live, but they have released a bunch of photos and stuff since then about it. And uh, uh, so there's uh, we've got uh, there's a plant experiment on board. Uh, there's little cotton plants. It's the first plants on the moon. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, this is cool. So there is a uh, like a three kilogram canister on the lander. Yeah, a little terrarium. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Baby lunar greenhouse. And it has six different species that are intended to germinate and grow. And they're doing that here on Earth as well and comparing the, the two samples. So it includes uh, cotton, which is the first one we've seen, but then rapeseed, potato, and a couple other things. Um, I didn't know this was part of the lander until I read this story. It's pretty pretty neat. Yeah, space potatoes. Yes. It's, uh, it's pretty good. And uh, they also, in addition to releasing photos and video and stuff, um, announced the some future uh, plans for Chang'e missions from China. Um, Chang'e 5 is meant to be a sample return mission. Um, so they're going to bring back moon rocks, which will be, uh, I think, the first time anybody's brought a sample back since the Apollo astronauts. Yeah. Um, Chang'e 6, they're do- planning on doing a sample return from the South Pole. Um, Chang'e 7, they're going to survey terrain and the composition of the South Pole. And then Chang'e 8 is going to be uh, surveying and also a tech demo for construction of a research base. And this is feeding into that idea that, you know, can you can you build um, structures out of the lunar regolith? Can you add to the lunar dust and kind of make concrete blocks and uh, almost 3D print a base that will give you some protection from... Uh, radiation and things like that and they're they're uh, you know these future missions are all sort of like pushing toward the idea of eventually being able to construct a habitat and china is very much kind of all in on the moon and uh that has led as we i feel like we touched on last time the whole space race thing has led to the stirrings of uh a new space race do you want to talk about this uh this washington post editorial yeah it's super Interesting. Uh, so there's this, it went up on January 10th, and uh, it was written by Namatra Goswami, who is independent senior analyst for some books about space. In this article, they lay out this case that America is not taking Chinese achievement in lunar space as seriously as they should be. 
And so uh, there's all, you know, you just routed off, I don't know how many missions you just routed off, all these plans for these uh, robotic missions, but China is gearing up to have uh, more and more, both in cislunar space and uh, and on the moon itself. And not just, like, sort of the crux of this article, I think, is it's not just for, like, planting a flag and then and then sort of waving at the camera, but it is very much about, like, the resources available there, the uh, what could be mined there, uh, potentially the, the commerce and economic, tr- you know, advantages or the, the opportunities that that the moon and other outer uh, space sort of missions could bring to China. So it's it's a pretty compelling argument. I feel like I walked away from reading this saying, yeah, like we, I'm not sure we are taking China as seriously as we should here. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. It's a good it's a good piece. She's um making some very interesting points. Um it is uh I mean China is not super experienced in space, so there's a question of are there going to be things that they uh their right. reach ex- exceeds their grasp on. We we don't know, but they seem to have a uh great plan here to continue to learn about the moon. And improve and eventually, you know, move on to setting up a base and figuring about, out about um, mining and things like that. I just read a book uh, by Kim Stanley Robinson, who is a uh, fairly well-known science fiction writer. And his latest novel, um, he, wrote the, he wrote the Mars Trilogy, which is, uh, is uh, very well-known, which is about sort of landing on and then ultimately um, terraforming Mars. Um, his latest book is about the moon. Um, and it's, uh, the, it's called Red Moon and it's, uh, and I read it and I liked it, but what's really interesting is he's trying to envision the moon in 50 years or something. And the point uh, that he makes is it's a, it's a moon that has, um, China is so far ahead that China is basically in charge of the moon because they've landed and they've set up refineries and they set up, uh, you know, cities basically, or at least mining colonies, and that everybody else is struggling to mm-hmm. catch up, but they have a huge head start. And, you know, I think that is the point he's making is um, th- there is great opportunity on the moon and, you know, you need to have a plan. And this is what uh, Goswami writes is that the U.S. is disorganized regarding space, she says. Uh, and, th- you know, there's no denying it. The U.S. is super disorganized involving space. And it seems like every time there's a change in yes. administrations, it gets worse because then they try to undo what the previous administration has done and then set up their own thing, which takes them years to do. Um, you know, this administration didn't even get a NASA administrator for more than a year. And then they start the ball rolling in a new direction. And then, of course, that administration will leave um, also, there's this whole idea of funding versus uh, sort of working with commercial partners, uh, you know, and and the, that's what they've been trying to do with NASA and the moon stuff is, oh, well, now we've announced these commercial partners. But um, the downside of that is uh, until it's commercially established, NASA's providing the seed funding. And you do have to wonder, like, what's the right balance of um, NASA pushing lunar exploration and just straight up funding it, knowing that there will be a payoff down the road, which is what China is doing. And NASA seems to be like, well, the moon's interesting, but we don't want to pay for it, or we don't, you know, we we don't want to control this. We just want to kind of open it up. And that, you know, it sort of seems premature to me. But anyway, it's a uh, it it is a real 
uh, I think opportunity for potentially a kick in the pants to the to the U.S. space program, uh, and I I don't love that it works this way, but I think it works this way that at some point somebody's going to say why are the Chinese ahead of us on the moon, and people in Congress are going to say it, and people and it's going to become a thing enough that um, there's more a political reason to fund space exploration, whether it's to the moon or to Mars or both, because of not wanting to relinquish the U.S.'s prestige as the leader in space. I think you're absolutely right about that. And and my guess is that's going to happen sooner rather than later. You know, if they pull off another one of these landers or they're all of a sudden bringing back sample return, like it seems like this is going to get kicked into gear, like you said. Yeah. Also, the Chinese are looking for international partners. That's the thing that um, I read at least one article that talks about how the Chinese are talking about working with Russia on some stuff and potentially working with uh, Europe on some moon related stuff. And and the Chinese play a, a, you know, they talk a good game of being like, yeah, well, you know, we're all trying to figure out the moon and we can work on it together. And I'll just remind everybody again that the U.S. is not a part of this conversation and it legally can't be because there is a law in place that Congress passed that um, prevents the American space officials from even talking to Chinese space officials. Um, which is interesting, given uh, the relationship between the U.S. and China and the U.S. and Russia, that we're fine. In fact, it, it, there's a story later on, kind of buddy-buddy a little bit with Roscosmos executives, and yet um, are not allowed to talk to China. Um, seems very strange. Uh, and that that's also a problem, right? Because China could get the rest of the world space agencies involved, uh, you know, they may not because they have really been secretive about this up till now, but uh, they may work with those agencies and the U.S. basically has to turn its backs on it. So that's a, a an interesting wrinkle here, too. There's a lot going on. Um, but I do wonder when it's going to dawn on somebody, if it hasn't already, inside the U.S. government somewhere, that it's going to be a real black eye for the United States politically, or at least in terms of uh, sort of national prestige, right. when the next people to land on the moon are Chinese. Yeah, because we, this isn't true, of course, but I, I feel like America has some sort of sense of like ownership over that exploration because we're the only ones who have done it right and yeah yeah it's that, a big upper hand thing right <laughs> of like we are the ones who went to the moon <laughs> right and no and no one's done it in the 50 years since and uh that's getting ready to change it looks like and it's gonna i think that's really gonna shake some people uh pretty severely cool well uh we've got a bunch more to talk about but first do you want to tell us about our first sponsor Sure. Our first sponsor this time is Warby Parker, quality eyewear at a fraction of the usual price, founded by four friends who believe your glasses shouldn't cost more than your iPhone. Uh, boy, iPhones are really expensive now. They cut out the middleman so they can sell directly to you, whether it's in one of their stores or online. They can provide high-quality, good-looking prescription glasses at a much fairer price. And if you're thinking that buying glasses online might be difficult... How do you visualize that? Warby Parker makes it so easy. They've got a free home try-on program. You order five pairs of glasses and try them on. You can keep them for up to five days. You can take selfies and post them on Instagram and get people to vote. You can just show them to your family and let them judge you. Uh, the no obligation to buy. You can try them all out, see which ones fit you best. Shipping is free. There's a prepaid return shipping label, so it's super easy. And when you pick a favorite pair, they'll even call your eye doctor if you're not sure what your prescription is, and they'll get it covered. Warby Parker glasses start at just 95 
$1,500, including prescription lenses, includes anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. And not only that, but for every pair you buy, a pair of glasses is distributed to someone in need. I have used Warby Parker on multiple occasions with the home try-on kit. I got a pair of sunglasses. I got a pair of glasses. Glasses. They look great. The quality is good. Um, it was super easy to try at home. And I was just talking to some friends who went to the Warby Parker retail store because there are there may be one in your area. There is one in San Francisco. And they love there, it there because instead of the home try-on with five, they got to try on basically like every possible frame they wanted. And then again, they take care of calling the doctor and placing the order and all of that stuff. So it's super easy. Listeners of this show can head to warbyparker.com slash liftoff, the name of this show, and order a free home try-on kit today. And once you've done that, you can check out the Warby Parker app. There's a great home try-on companion that lets you make that video of you wearing your frames so you can distribute that to your family, friends, and followers. They see they make it easy for you to be judged by your family and friends. And if you have an iPhone 10, you can use the Find Your Fit feature. Any of the 10 models can use the True Depth camera to map and measure key facial features, and then it recommends frames that are the best fits for your face. It only takes a few seconds. Upgrade your glasses experience. Go to warbyparker.com slash liftoff to order your free home try-ons today. And thank you to Warby Parker for supporting Liftoff. So we've been talking about commercial crew since, I don't know, be- <laughs> before we the beginning of the show. Yeah. Forever. Forever. And it seems like 2019... Is the year we're going to see commercial crew really start to actually leave the ground? But then came the shutdown, Jason. <sighs> yeah, and you would think, hey, SpaceX isn't a government entity, so SpaceX shouldn't be affected by the shutdown. The problem is that commercial crew requires sign-off from NASA at a lot of steps because this is all about getting the SpaceX Crew Dragon approved by NASA for use with NASA astronauts. And so even though it's a commercial operation, there is a government aspect to it that is hampered by the government shutdown that's going on right now. Yeah. So we were supposed to see their first uh, commercial crew flight. This was uncrewed. It was just a flight of the Crew Dragon that was supposed to be uh, now um, like just a couple of days away. It was going to be January 17th, but now it's looking like it's going to be February again, because of the shutdown, depending on how long the government takes to get open, that could slip some more. But this demo one flight is a really important step because it is, it is there to certify uh, crew dragon uh, on top of the Falcon nine, the, the flight hardware that will take astronauts to the space station. And there's actually today, there was a really cool video on the Verge science channel where Lauren Grush interviewed the, the first two commercial crew members that will fly on SpaceX crew dragon and sort of about their background. And both of these astronauts, they both uh, flew on the shuttle, have years of experience and talking about the training and everything going into these commercial crew flights through SpaceX. And something that really jumped out at me, they were talking about uh, how complex the shuttle was, not only the vehicle itself, but just like the processes around the shuttle, like to do anything with the vehicle or in a mission to change any of those parameters took a long time. And one of the astronauts was basically like, look, this is a small team. And if we feel like something should change or they feel like something should change, we talk about it, we tell NASA and we change it. Like it's much, it's a much more nimble and flexible working environment. 
And I found I hadn't really thought about it from that angle, but that that could be a really beneficial thing when it comes to commercial crew. Now, that's not to say NASA doesn't have to approve major changes. Like one thing Lauren goes into is the fact that SpaceX wants to fuel the rocket with the astronauts on board, something that right. NASA uh, didn't do, <laughs> as I don't think has ever done. Uh, but the way the Falcon 9 works, it's advantageous to to load that fuel at the, you know, the last possible minute to keep it as cold as possible. And how SpaceX and NASA have been working together to prove that that can be safe, uh, including that accident a couple of years ago where they launched, uh, they lost a payload on the on the pad when they had they had a big fireball and stuff. But they're working through those things, and it. it I kind of walked away from the video and even this story, even though we're talking about a delay, like commercial crew is here, and it really feels like it's closer than ever in a way. And maybe it was just hearing from these astronauts in sort of a more in-depth way, but uh, I sort of have like a renewed excitement about this to see American astronauts leave for space from Florida. Yeah, well, like like I hope they get it going or they find a way to do it without uh, the government or something. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's all intertwined. That's the bottom line here. And the shutdown is stupid and it's stupid and it's now uh, extra stupid because it's going to stop space stuff from happening, which is also really dumb. So... Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm still hoping, though. I'm still po- optimistic that 2019 is going to be the year of commercial crew. And I just keep waiting for that moment where we go three, two, one, uh, blast off. Happy New Year, right? We're on the last day of the year 2019. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we got it in under the wire or something like that. I right. joke now, but we're going to cut to an episode of Liftoff 26 episodes from now. And that's totally what's going to have happened. We'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I remain optimistic. I do too. And the shutdown is impacting NASA in a bigger way than just this commercial crew launch. There's an article uh, at the Houston Chronicle talking about employees at the Johnson Space Center. They've been out of work for over three weeks now. Uh, some are furloughed. Some are working unpaid. Like there are some at various centers at NASA, things that aren't funded, but kind of have to keep going. So some people are still coming in to work uh, despite not having a paycheck. And uh, something like 94% of the employees at the Houston Center aren't being paid. They're not working. And so they are uh, expected to protest. It seems like that's going on maybe today. You know, it catches a lot of people who have no say in it. It it puts them in a bad position. And when it comes to things like NASA, it puts programs and timelines – it pauses those things. And – just because you add three week a three week delay because no one can work, it may delay it in the future much longer than three weeks as things have to come back online and things that were you know all these schedules are very like interlaced with each other and it just it pushes all that stuff down the road in a way that's pretty frustrating to watch. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. it's frustrating if it's your job. Like I can't uh, I feel bad for everyone stuck in it. I, I can't yeah. I can't even imagine. And, and you have that thing where it's like, the, we don't care enough to pay you, essentially. And it's not your bosses, right? Your bosses all care. It's just the government in general. But then you're working and you're working because you feel some sort of sense of responsibility and also because you're deemed you know, necessary. Um, but you're not getting paid and you're just hoping you know you will get eventually get paid. But in the meantime... Uh, yeah, I, I just, and then there are the people who get furloughed who are like, you're not necessary. So you're just, we're not paying you and you can't come into work anymore. And that's frustrating too. It's not, it's a bad situation. Very bad. Mm-hmm. Don't, Jason, I'm not going to furlough you from Relay. Don't, don't worry. Re, the 
the relay government will stay open. Oh, good. I promise to you. Oh, good. That's right. I was going to have to fight for a vote of no confidence, but now I don't have to do that. <laughs> That's good. a different government. Should we, should we talk about uh, the awkward thing that happened? Yeah. What is going on here? So I have missed some of this story. I was reading about it before we recorded. Like, what is happening? <laughs> oh, it's such an amazing... I mean, I originally, in our little notes document, all I had was one word, which was awkward. Yeah. Um, I, 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 let me expand on that. So, okay. Dmitry Rogozin is the head of Roscosmos, the Russian space agency. Now, um, how to tell this story? He is a buddy of Putin because you don't get to a senior position in the Russian government without being a buddy of Putin. And, um, the U S has for a while now had sanctions against not just the Russian government, for uh, various things that the the Russians have done, including uh, taking away, you know, invading part of Ukraine, um, they've they've identified a bunch of other like big name people in the Russian government and said these people are also basically banned as a part of these sanctions. They can't come to the U.S. They can't have money in the U.S. There's a whole list of things that that are part of those sanctions. Well, guess what? Dmitry Rogozin is one of those people. He is sanctioned by the U.S. government and not allowed to come into the United States. But he's the head of Roscosmos. They give us rides on the Soyuz capsules. And apparently some people at NASA thought it would be really awesome to have him come and speak at an event, I think in Houston. And so they actually got sort of permission for his uh, sanctions to be temporarily waived because nothing is better than sanctions that are only sanctions when they're inconvenient or when they're convenient. And when they're inconvenient, you just waive them and say, you can never come to our country except when we invite you, which is now. So come on in. Um, then everybody noticed and they're like, whoa, banned person is being brought in by NASA, uh, at which point uh, they, they said, never mind. <laughs> and uh, they, they re-banned him. Uh, which is when I, I, that's my awkward bullet point is right there. It was awkward, super awkward. <laughs> that is awkward. Um, and then I guess Jim Bridenstine, the NASA administrator called him up and was like, sorry, dude, uh, they noticed yeah. or something. Just, just parents stupid. said you can't hang out. It's just a stupid story. Like, um, it's such a stupid story because it's, it, it's one of those examples of, oh, nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to care. And then people noticed and cared and they had to back it off. But it's like, if you, if you're, if your government cares enough to sanction this dude then you should probably just go with it right and then if they and i know you've got an ongoing business relationship with them but at the same time he's also sanctioned this is the complexity of international relations but um anyway he doesn't get to give a speech and uh it's just a weird story that uh there was a 180 degree turnaround at one point because you know whoops (laughs) i guess literally it's that they thought nobody would notice or care and then somebody pointed out, and it was bad press, and so then they had to back it down. I'm, I'm sure it's not related to the fact that uh, Russia is uh, such an important kind of hot-button issue right now in terms of people who criticize the administration. So having an example of working with Putin's buddies uh, it was not something that the government didn't really want. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that may have happened. Yeah. Awkward is right. That <laughs> sums it up. Awkward. Yeah, I, I I think about this relationship between the two agencies and between the two countries, like it moving forward as commercial crew comes online, like we were just talking about, and as we are far less dependent on Russia to to get to orbit, how will this play out? How will this relationship continue? It's not great, but it kind of works. Is that going to continue, or will it really kind of fall apart after we're 
no longer a paying customer of their launch services. I just I just don't know, but I think it's something worth keeping an eye on because once even after commercial crew, like we are still partners at the space station. And as we've really talked about this, it's been way down our document forever. But as the space station ages and countries have to decide what to do with it, there is going to have to be conversation with Russia if if any sort of yeah. plan that makes any sort of sense is, is is possible. And I just I just that's I think that's something we're gonna need to look for over the next two or three years of, of what happens between these two giants as the ground like kind of drastically changes in between them. Yeah, it's a it's a real question long term, but I think that's one of the fundamental questions about space. And we go back to the conversation earlier in this episode about China. Um, the best way forward is for all the countries of the world to work together to explore space together as humans. But um, sometimes that works politically, and sometimes that is uh, not what works politically. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the one of our our ongoing uh, ongoing challenges as uh, people who reside on this little planet of ours. Yeah. Why can't we all just get along, Jason? That's a good question. There's, it's too too complicated to get into here. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, so tell, uh, let, let's talk, before we take our break, let's talk about uh, New Horizons a little bit. So we covered that extensively in our previous episode. Yes. But uh, since then, it's been quiet. And I guess part of that is the, the shutdown. But kind of what's going on with, with that team? Yeah, so New Horizons, um, it, it's a funny story. So we, we said, uh, we actually delayed our recording of our last episode because they were going to do the press conference and, and uh, show pictures, which they did. And I think there was one more press conference after we recorded where they showed some higher resolution pictures. But there's not a lot since then. And people have been asking, like, why aren't we hearing? Are they keeping things quiet? Is it the shutdown? And there's a really funny answer which is for most of the last two weeks uh the sun has been between earth and new horizons <laughs> it's that simple it's that simple uh w- there's a big shiny object in the way you can't get radio signals through it now it's been about five days as we record this six days since they've gotten reconnected with new horizons it's spinning which is the where it can use it's a uh, two broadband antennas to uh, so it doubles its data rate back to us which is great and so now it's in like super speed download mode which is not that speedy but it's speedy for new horizons um this was a known thing obviously because it's not a surprise where new horizons is where the earth is where the sun is that's been known for a long time uh in fact this made me laugh apparently it's been known for such a long time that alan stern the principal investigator of new horizons booked uh, an australian cruise <laughs> during this period That's well deserved yeah he actually took a fl- he was flying around he flew around the world but he did he was on a cruise in australia for a while um and i thought that was funny and then i thought you know you're the principal investigator and you know you're going to get a tiny amount of data you've been working really hard for a really long time i don't know whether it was a uh you know a themed cruise or whether it was purely personal or what was, what the deal was but i just thought you know if he wants to take some time when he knows that the spacecraft is is incommunicado because it's far you know behind the sun and we can't talk to it then uh, take a break I, I think you know do you treat yourself is what i'm saying you do you alan stern we might disagree on whether pluto is a planet or not but it's fine you're doing great work and you need to take some time at the taco bar have a pina colada whatever you know take a dip in the pool go to the lido deck for some yoga whatever you need to do 
Um, that's great. So anyway, uh, for the last almost week now, data is coming back. It is in the, the spin mode, so it's able to transfer faster. And so I would imagine that we are now going to enter that period where they're going to do periodic press releases and image releases on their website. Now, the, again, there's the government shutdown, but they're, uh, this project is funded uh, in advance, so they've got money to pay people at least for a while. And so you know the data will continue to come back and they'll continue to do um, some stuff. It may be lower lower quality than maybe what we would have gotten with a full-on NASA PR production, mm-hmm. but I imagine they will still post images and do press releases and all of that kind of stuff. So there will be more from New Horizons, but it was uh, it was behind the sun and the guy in charge just went on a cruise. That's the answer about what happened with New Horizons. I, lo- I yeah. love that so much. You, you got to yeah. take care so of yourself. So m- more Ultima Thule <laughs> news at a later date. Yeah. Stay tuned. Uh, We're going to talk about a bunch of SpaceX news, but first I want to tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea, and you can get a unique domain name, use award-winning templates, and more. So if you're thinking about your to-do list in 2019, some things that might be on there could be creating an online store or making a portfolio to show off your work, or maybe you want to start blogging on a regular basis. Well, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that would let you do all of that stuff. It could take care of all of those needs. And the best part is there's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about. There are no like, server upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about that kind of stuff because Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. Like I said, they allow you to quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and you can put your content on the web using one of their award-winning templates. They're all beautifully designed to show off your great ideas. I've been using Squarespace for a really long time. At Really FM, we have our blog on that. So when we introduce a new podcast or a new uh, like live show coming up, we go in there and make a blog post, add images and links all very quickly, and it just looks great. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com liftoff. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com liftoff. The code liftoff will get you that 10% off your first purchase. I'd like to thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. Okay, we have to talk about the Starship Hopper prototype. Yes, SpaceX. This is the SpaceX segment, which does not have a a fancy name. It's just uh, apparently the SpaceX segment. And uh, yes, the the Starship test test vehicle is being assembled, I guess, in Texas, I think, uh, that is part of this idea that they want to do these... uh, uh, this hopper test about this. Uh, this is for their their spaceship vehicle. This is not. This is suborbital, but they want to have something they can put atop uh, a Falcon and uh, and test mm-hmm. it. And this is something that has been done before. So th- uh, when they were developing the Falcon Nine, they had something called the Grasshopper, which was kind of a test bed for the Falcon Nine technology. But the idea here is, you light it, it travels. A, a little ways off the pad, and then you bring it back down. And so you're just you're getting a bunch of metrics from the engines and and all the control surfaces. And you know these aren't even really suborbital flights; they're very uh, small, short tests. But it allows you to to start ramping up to those 
suborbital, orbital, interplanetary flights. And this uh, this vehicle, there are a lot of questions about uh, what this vehicle is, how it's built, and... uh, So there's some pictures. We should talk about the pictures, right? So Elon Mm -hmm. Musk tweets on January 10th, uh, the test flight rocket just finished. Uh, This is an actual picture, not a rendering. And it is shiny. Like it it looks like it It is. It's coated in space blankets or something. It's it's reflective. Yeah, it's beautiful, silvery. It's got an American flag on it. It's a rocket like you would see. It's like the rocket emoji. It is a... You know, pointy rocket with fins and um, rocket engines down at the bottom. It looks uh, shiny and uh, interesting and fantastic. It it it. <laughs> I hadn't thought about the rocket emoji thing. It looks like uh, the rocket, like my kids draw, like you know when we're talking about space stuff. Yeah, it, it is. It is the the kind of like fundamental concept of what a rocket looks yeah. like, basically. Uh, but then we get into and so and so. Elon said this is not a render. This is an actual picture. <laughs> but then some people basically, well, I guess, went to Texas or were in Texas and took some pictures of the real thing. And it's still, it's a rocket-shaped rocket, but there's some funny some funny details here. Uh, it's uh, not quite as beautiful and seamless as it would seem. Yeah, well, there are, I, I'm unclear on exactly what's going on here, but definitely there are a bunch of photos not posted by Elon Musk that involve, um, and we'll put them in the show notes, that, that involve other angles. And uh, this uh, tweet that made me laugh is how I look on Tinder versus how I look in real life, SpaceX rocket edition, where um, from other angles, it looks a little more janky, like, you know, y- you just put tinfoil on a, on, a, on a rocket or like on a, 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 a cucumber. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... It's it's not great. And then there's a close-up, which actually shows, like, whatever that is. I mean, it looks like it's, it's like, concrete rings or something. And then they've they've uh, tacked on shiny, a shiny metallic thing that, that looks kind of like wallpaper or tinfoil, but it's probably sheets of stainless steel or aluminum or something like that. Um, and it just sort of all the, all the mystery and majesty of the thing is evaporated when you see that picture because yeah. it, it looks super, super uh, janky. And it reminds me of whenever I do um, home improvement stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> and whenever you like open up a, uh, you open up an outlet or you open up a wall and you have this realization that this perfect, you know, your painted walls that are all seamless and all of that, that, you know, the truth is that you live inside a janky cardboard box. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. But we, we hide sure. it all because we don't want to see that. We want to imagine that it's all immaculate. But in fact, it's not. And, you know, the spaceship is like that, too. It looks great in those photos from Elon Musk. But uh, maybe, you know, it, it really is just a, a thing that's supposed to make people feel cool about, like, what it looks like. And that they're starting on this journey with these little hopper tests that they're going to do. Just kind of like vertical flight tests to, to test the, the concept. Um, but, hey, SpaceX... Um, using marketing and uh, and uh, attaching it to one of their test vehicles, uh, yeah, that's that's SpaceX. Story checks out. Story checks out. Yeah. So from from some reading, it seems like this thing is uh, built in like with these steel bands, and they it's not painted. And so uh, some some uh, stuff I'd read said that this may be to help uh, keep it cool, so to help reflect some sun and heat from it. Um, you know, these things are normally painted white, uh, f- 
partially for that reason. Right. And so this may be a cheaper way to do it. And again, this is a test vehicle. It's it's not uh, even guaranteed that it will su- survive these tests, right? Like you want to build it yeah, cheaply. I mean, it's basically it's basically a prop vehicle in a lot of ways because you're, you're not, it's ballast. They want to get the weight right. They want it to, you know, to look cool. It doesn't have to be shaped like a rocket, really. You know, I mean, the Falcon 9 Grasshopper was just the lower stage, sort of just with an open top. Yeah. They want it to look like what they what they want the spaceship to ultimately look like, but um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a a sample in order to run some tests, but they they want to make it look good. So you know that's fine. I get it. I, I again, you know, I'm going to footnote our conversation about the the Tesla Roadster and the and the you know spaceman that got launched by uh, Falcon Heavy. You know, it's it's kind of like that where, I mean, they needed ballast and they did ballast with style. And uh, that's kind of what's going on here, which is, look, if we're going to do this test, why don't we make it look super cool, mm-hmm. um, even though we don't need to? Yeah, I get it. Sure. Yeah, I don't I don't think this is as big of a, a story as some people were making out to be. I saw some people on Space Twitter like kind of freaking out that they were being misleading about what this was. like. But like you said, this isn't really even a vehicle. It is a test bed. It's really just something to strap these motors to that can lift off and land again. <laughs> it doesn't need to be anything more than that, but SpaceX can't leave that sort of stuff alone, right? They've got to have something to talk about, something to show off. But um, yeah, there is another SpaceX story that I wanted to talk about before we wrap up. Uh, so this was uh, the end of last week. It was announced that SpaceX was laying off 10% of its workforce. It has roughly 6,000 employees. You know, Sp- SpaceX is private, and so some of this information isn't super accessible. You just kind of have to go on what the company says. Right. Uh, and, and the yeah, various reports from people on the inside right. that, that some of these things are... Yeah, but it's, there's no public disclosure of this stuff really beyond uh, sources and what the company says. Right. Uh, and so the company had said uh, 10%. Uh, Eric uh, Berger over on Twitter, he writes at Ars Technica. He has a great... as a sidebar. They have a great... Uh, space like email newsletter where all they talk about is hardware like launch vehicles it's <laughs> I love it um, huh. it's really good uh, Eric writes that with some other people but the uh, it seems like 10% some people have said it may be higher than that but basically there was like an all hands meeting and then emails went out telling people if they still had jobs but he says and some other articles I've read say you know this isn't super unexpected so SpaceX is sort of in a transition where the Falcon 9, the Dragon, the Dragon 2, the Crew Dragon, Falcon Heavy, a, a lot of that engineering is done. In fact, Falcon 9 Block 5 is, is the final version of the Falcon 9, the company has said. And so they're sort of moving from a place where they're creating every single thing they have to do. And to now they have this really like thoroughly tested bed of of hardware and the type of missions they can do and now they're branching out from that so the the types of employees and engineers and designers you have now aren't necessarily the group you need moving forward you have some people who their jobs are sort of just wrapped up and you have other people who you know uh where they're moving their skills don't lie that's not to downplay this i mean 10 percent is a lot of people a lot of people lost their jobs i don't want to downplay that at all but i can see why spacex made this sort of decision is that is that fair you think yeah uh yeah eric Berger's thread is really good about the idea that um you know they're 
they're changing. They've built a bunch of stuff. They're not building as much new stuff anymore. They're refining. They're leaving expansion phase. They're entering a new uh, era for them. And that that changes fundamentally. It changes what their business is and what their needs are. And um, it, it it sucks for the people who are losing their jobs, but they don't need to make, you know, what he says is hundreds of Merlin engines and tens of Falcon 9 cores. The whole idea here is that it's mostly reusable. They're streamlining what, what their inventory is. Uh, and uh, on a positive side, that um, there's a lot of good aerospace stuff yes. happening in L.A., which is where they're located in Hawthorne and in, in greater Los Angeles. And therefore, um, uh, these people are all probably going to end up in new situations because this is a burgeoning market for uh, uh, and, and a burgeoning era, area for it. So it, it'll all probably be OK. But that was a really interesting perspective that that Eric had about how they just don't. This isn't a surprise um, they're not uh, developing all of these different projects anymore, and they're trying to do reuse, which means that once they get the production line up and running, they can kind of maintain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they, you know they have Starship, they have BFR. Like, there's lots of more development to do. They got their Mars plans. There's right. lots of expensive stuff right. happening that they need to you know plan their resources accordingly too. Yeah, so it's if they're going to spend that money there. Part of this is, you know, getting staffing down to a, a number that is sustainable, but but more affordable. And SpaceX, like we said, it is private. Uh, they are raising money. They've raised like two hundred and seventy three million just in the last, you know, four to six weeks. They're seeking to raise about five hundred million in total. The company's worth thirty one billion. There are a bunch of big numbers, and what they're doing is really expensive. So it just seems like it's a realignment to meet this sort of next generation of goals now that they're in a place where their Falcon 9 business is healthy. They have NASA contracts. They have lots of private contracts. Uh, even though uh, some of those have wound down as, as, they've, as they've completed you know, a series of launches for different companies, it seems like they have a steady business stream moving forward. So now it's about bringing these new platforms and projects online. SpaceX always doing something. <laughs> There's always yeah, we can't escape them. There's a, they're they're always uh, always out there. Yeah. Something something or other. One of these days they'll do another night launch over LA and everybody'll freak out again. So, it's great. I love it. I want to live in a science fiction world where uh rocket launches in the sky over Los Angeles are uh, commonplace. People are like, oh, there's another rocket launch. It's just like watching contrails go over and being like, <laughs> instead of being like, whoa, there's lines in the sky with a little dot in the front. What causes this? And everybody's like, yeah, that's an airplane. Right. It's a jet. It's fine. Like, to, I'd love to get to that that point where the same thing happens with rockets, where we're like, yeah, mm-hmm, it's just SpaceX. It's fine. That's the that's main engine cutoff there. Everybody knows. It's fine. Yeah. Alrighty. If you want to find links to stuff we talked about, head over to the website, relay.fm slash liftoff slash 89. While you're there, you can get in touch via email. There's also a link to our Tumblr where we post links to stories and videos and stuff in between episodes. You can go check that out. Jason, what is that direct URL? Liftoffpodcast.space. That's good. Uh, So go check that out. Uh, You can find us on Twitter. Of course, the show is there as at liftoff podcast you can find jason on twitter at j snell and you can follow me there as ismh and until our next fortnight jason say goodbye goodbye everybody adios <laughs>